this is coffee number five. I'm your host, Lara Schmoisman. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us again in another coffee number five. And today we're here with Nikki Smart. I'm so happy to have you here today and it's a pleasure. I've been following your career a little bit. You've been in, uh, in your dream job. You've been uh, working as a designer, car designer. Over the years, you've been in different companies, big companies. Can we say the names like Ford Motors and some yeah, studios? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, and it's a big achievement getting to be a car designer. There are so many people that they want to be this. Uh, when they grow up, like how many kids you ask, what do you want to do when you, are, when you grow up? And they tell you, oh, I want to design cars. But to go from there and to actually be a car designer, it takes not only talent, effort, but also you have to have the right connections and be in the right place at the right time. So what you don't tell us a little bit about your story, how you got there? Yeah, well, as you say, um, as a child being obsessed with cars, you're certainly not aware that there's a... Uh, a job where you can potentially do what you love to do at seven or eight or nine years old um, and you can do that for a living and, and actually make a career out of it so I mean as a kid I was aware that saying I like to design cars was sort of akin to saying I want to be an astronaut or a you know a, a jet fighter pilot it's uh, <laughs> something that is one thing to say but it's quite a, a kind of loose idea and it feels very conceptual and I think it felt that way for my parents because um, growing up it, I think it was difficult for them um, to, to realize that the thing I was passionate about, clearly passionate about, um, could actually lead to a career. So for me, I actually found out quite late uh, going through school that I could actually work as a car designer. So the thing that I love to do that was just this kind of time-wasting exercise, I think, in a lot of teachers' eyes, was actually a profession. And there were people out there essentially with the skills that I was developing. So the hardest part for me was actually discovering by chance that you could study vehicle design and the way that vehicles were actually designed and engineers uh, engineered excuse me um you needed actual artistic designers at the beginning of the process to come up with ideas and to actually draw the things they're imagining and and communicate those ideas to then get those ideas engineered and developed further down the road so as a kid i just didn't know that that was a reality so um as i say i found out fairly late that, that that was a possibility and i think that kid never knew either that either for to design a little piece of a car like even a light it mm -hmm. will take you hours and hours it, even it's like every piece of a car is so so well thought and there's yeah. so much work put into it yeah it's, it's interesting when people ask what uh you know, they ask what I do and I say I'm a car designer and, and I think it's a it's a still a fairly vague notion of but what do you actually do? You know, how does a car actually get designed and, and what bits are you responsible for? And and I have to sort of point out that essentially anything you see or touch needs to be designed. Arguably anything you don't see or touch uh, could could just be engineered, but a good engineer is conscious in a lot of the same ways that an industrial designer is. So I don't see this kind of clear division. But yeah, when you look at a, a car, as you say, every single surface, every line, every button, every radius, 
every clunk click of every actuation that you you feel and, and every lever that you pull has not only been engineered but designed to work in a way that's comfortable that communicates information well that is sensuous to the touch and enjoyable to look at i mean all of these very ethereal ideas are actually designed and engineered into a car to such a high degree they really they really are quite remarkable uh, objects and we take them for granted because obviously we see so many examples every day and there are so many different brands out there doing essentially incredible jobs um, it's really quite a unique um, product i think there's nothing else that we buy in life that's so expensive and so complex and well developed but i think also what people don't realize is that this is such a big teamwork job that oh, yeah. there are so many designers and so many engineers and many other factors that they are they contribute in the final design and if all these people and teams don't collaborate and work together the final product can be a disaster absolutely yeah i mean a lot of people ask why it takes so long to to produce a vehicle and, and it really is even with the most advanced manufacturing techniques and the way that everything is developed um, with uh, computer data as the master reference so going from design into into uh, development of engineering criteria and feasibility into production and then into manufacturing it's a lot more streamlined now than it was decades ago thanks to the use of computers um, but the teams as you say that are involved at the very beginning of the program it's three or four years in most cases and the people that are involved at the start are predominantly not involved at the end um, so you, you go through these stages of essentially handing over the baton of the vehicle's development to different parts of the country uh, company excuse me in different parts of the organization uh, and each part has to optimize their aspect of the job and uh, yeah it's an incredibly complicated process and uh, it's fun as a designer when you first join a production studio to see the artistic creative end but then you look into this abyss that is the development and engineering and manufacturing distribution marketing i mean it's this very very long road that you suddenly see that you are sat right at the beginning of and you you rarely get to travel very far down it um, but it's good to appreciate how long that is and the people involved along the way well, uh, that's what happened to you. You started from the bottom and you were a designer and you grew in the process and you got to a point that you were uh, not a designer anymore, basically. You were a manager. And how, how a designer, a creator feels like when he stopped design, designing? How do you go about it? How can you be creating and managing a team and having all these skills and trying to tell people how to do design work without using your design skills every day? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of different, as a design manager, I mean, the, the sort of joke in the industry is it's sort of the worst job. You don't really have any authority to uh, decide the direction of things, um, but you also don't get to do the creative end. You're kind of this piggy in the middle. Uh, and there are different types of managers, but for me, I was certainly the type of manager, and this is relatively common, that with a great deal of experience as a designer and then a senior designer, as you, you basically take on more and more responsibility with each program, you ultimately get to the point where you've got a relatively good understanding and you can actually manage a program. And then you're managing people. Um, and those people are essentially where you were several years before. So you're now trying to shepherd them through a process protect them from a lot of the essentially bureaucracy and complexity 
and the logistics of, of the program and just keep them thinking creatively. So you're trying to isolate them to protect their uh, creative environment, essentially. So it's, a, it's an interesting process because I think your naivety when you join a company is something that even if you're not aware of, you're certainly aware you want to improve and gain knowledge and become more of an expert. But actually that naivety is one of the greatest assets you can have because once you've lost that naivety and it's replaced with knowledge and understanding, there's a lot of potential ideas that you you don't follow up because you're aware of all of the, the issues and you, you often kind of find yourself being less creative. So it, it's quite a, a natural progression uh, to go from a designer to a manager and then to help younger designers. And you see these designers gain more and more knowledge and you know, before long they're managing programs as well. So you got to this point, you were a manager and then you decided, okay, I want to do something different. I want to go back to design. So you came up with an idea. How did you come up with this idea and how did you go about it? Um, I've been pretty much obsessed with anything with wheels, I would say, since I was a tiny kid. And, um, you know, the first love that you have is essentially a bicycle. And in my case, it was a three-wheeled uh, bicycle. But once you get onto... What color wheels, was it? It was, uh, I've got a picture of it on the wall here. It's a little blue three-wheeler with, um, but it had quite big wheels and uh, it wasn't long before I was learning to ride along on two wheels. And uh, yeah, I transitioned really quickly to a bicycle and, and obviously the sense of freedom once you first get onto a bicycle. I'm sure what was the same time as, as me that within you were helmets or no. nothing. No, no, it wasn't even a consideration. Absolutely. No, absolutely no. I had many, many uh, occasions to run into my mother with my head bleeding or, yeah, I was forever bashing myself up. Um, but yeah, I, I was passionate about bicycles and just movement, anything that was dynamic. And uh, I grew up working in, um, as a child, my father had a, a, a shop making exhausts for racing cars and vintage cars. So I was around cars a lot riding my bike a lot so I was always passionate about bicycles and I really love cars so even though I was drawing cars all the time I was riding bicycles all the time and essentially I, I kind of later on in my car design career I realized how much I really loved motorcycles and so as a, as a side project as I move further and further away from the creative aspect of car design for my professional job and more into management I developed more um, of an appetite to design motorcycles on the side. And it was purely a medicinal project. So a project that I began without any timeline to finish it. It was really a project that I began to enjoy the process of designing and working problems out and making things. So I really enjoy um, actually the making part. And it's the part I most enjoy in the vehicle design process, seeing the actual ideas come to fruition. But for me, it's the ultimate test of how good your idea is, is how well you can get that thing into reality. Well, I have to say, your bikes are gorgeous. So, no, there, I mean, you guys, I, we put your website here in the chapter notes because you guys need to see them. And how do you come out with ideas? I mean, you do, what make people tick? And that's what we are interested. How do you know that this is what people would like? Uh, do you talk to people? You know what bikers, who is your target audience? How do you develop your brand? Well, as, as, as you probably well know, you know, with the, the world of marketing, we, we do try ever more to understand what people are going to want. It's not what they want now in the case of cars, because we can't make them a car today. 
we can start designing a car today and it'll be available for them to hopefully buy in, as I say, three or four years. So this game of trying to predict not only what people like uh, now, next year, but in several years' time. I mean, it, it's, it's... And it's what a, a technology w will be in by then. Exactly. I mean, and to say it's a moving target is an underestimation. So honestly, for me, doing, you know, that, that's the case with the day-to-day -day job. And I think there's often arguments about how much expertise you have within the design studio. Should you just design the vehicles that you believe in and people, if they're good enough, will be drawn to them? Or do you really need to understand what people are going to want and then try to design to their expectations? And I think there's an argument, there's a good argument either way. Uh, but for, for myself, designing my motorcycle, I just wanted to design something that I felt made sense. You know, if I've got decades of experience and I've drawn these objects, whether it be cars or motorcycles, tens of thousands of times, I've studied and fantasized about vehicles in the past and, and kind of really connected with certain aspects of how they look and how they feel. I just wanted to do something that I felt was a good expression of what I could see as an I ideal um, kind of design. And if people liked it, great. If people didn't, as long as I felt happy about what I produced. And this is something that I end up telling designers in the design studio because often we'll go through reviews and it's difficult to understand the feedback and you're not sure about the direction that you went and you, you think that you understand what the person wants. And before long, you've basically designed all of the spirit out of your idea and you're just trying to guess what the person wants and you're no longer emotionally invested in the design. And because it's not an expression of you now, you're actually trying to calculate what somebody else wants. And I think it's often to the detriment of the design. Um, I think unless you're really happy about what you're producing, I don't think you can be happy as a designer because 99% of what you create as a designer goes in the trash. And it's honestly one of the hardest aspects of being, certainly in my experience, a vehicle designer, especially working in advanced design, because essentially you go to work every day and you know, if you're honest, that essentially what you do will go nowhere. And, and it's really hard to... I think a lot of people struggle in their careers where they don't see their designs going to production. That's obviously the dream, but that happens one in a thousand times. And for people working in advanced design, that's not your job. Your idea is your job is to create ideas that influence the production design. So I think unless you're making yourself happy, you're going to be a very sad designer. And I, I see people get depressed because they don't see um, what they consider as success happening in their career. But I, I get back to you have to f find a way to fulfill yourself with your day-to-day -day productivity. And if it goes somewhere, that's a bonus. And I think in that situation, then it's a lot more um, healthy for you. Yeah, I think what, at least myself, I didn't realize early on in my life that a lot of the work that I, I will do wouldn't work and I will have yeah. to do it again. Yeah. And I, I know that it's frustrating, but I had to learn to deal with it. And that was, I think, a skill that I learned along the way. And it got me where I am now. And I'm not going to lie. I've, I've been around for a little while already. And I don't think I would be around if I didn't have all the experiences that I have. Uh, and it will take me where I am today. But 
I've been talking to a lot of people lately and I feel like people that they come out out of college or people who want to change careers and they say, I can do this by myself or I don't have to have all this experience. So I don't have to go and work for others in order to go and start something on my own. Do you think that if it would be that boy who finished college, you graduated from design school, you would be able to do what you're doing now? Or you think of all these years of experience taught you a lesson? Oh, uh, without a doubt. I mean, in the, in the context of designing something as complicated as a, as a vehicle, and, and if you're good at it, that's a vehicle that can be made. It's, it's no good designing something that doesn't work, as you say. Um, so yeah, the experience that I've gained over the last the two decades working for big manufacturing organizations, that's, that's been priceless. I, I still believe that your ability as a designer is, is how well you understand the next part of the process and the next part and the next part. And, and even though you may be less and less involved as something you've designed carries on down its, its journey to actually being made, you still need to be involved. You still need to be connected. So your ability not just to understand your role, but the role of the people around you that are actually going to carry on, um, you know, take your baby and basically take it through to production. So, I mean, all of the experience you gain. I mean, and, and, and as you say, you talk about the things that you've learned. I think, I think if most people are honest, they tend to learn more from the failures than the successes. Absolutely. You know, and it, and it, sounds, it sounds counterintuitive when you're younger because all you want to do is focus on getting things right. But it's the process of not getting them right that helps to steer your understanding to increase your chances of, of getting them right the next time. Um, you know, I can uh, I can tell you that, for example, I remember today more bosses that I hate that I can try not to be them. Yeah. <laughs> that bosses that they were just okay. I mean, it, it's it's such a difficult it's such a difficult perspective to have when you're younger because you only know what you know, and you're you're desperate to prove yourself as capable as possible. But it's so hard to think about the long game view which is to say, and I try and do this with my children, um, is to try and see anything you're doing as a means to an end. It's just a means to be able to do it better the next time. Or the fifth time down the road that you do it, hopefully you'll be better at it. And the only way to do that is to be able to look at each time you go through this process of trying to see how you could do it better and being open to change. And I think even if, even if you're a perfectionist, um, and you want to do things, you know, as perfectly as you possibly can. I think if you're honest, you, you really do sort of see um, the, the gain in actually looking at each, each um, effort, each attempt, I guess, on your part as, as not being the, the final end game, you know, and, it, and it's so hard to have that perspective. And I see it with my children, they're, they're doing a drawing and they're, they're sort of can't see the wood for the trees because they're desperate to get this small detail right and then they zoom out and realize that the scales are completely wrong you know but <laughs> trying to trying to get them to sketch out an idea and just to sketch out the basic proportions first before they get drawn into the details and that's essentially what we do with every experience we focus on this experience right now as though it means everything and there's nothing wrong in that but to have in the back of your mind that try and learn from this so that you're better at doing it the next time it's, it's really difficult i understand why uh, why it's hard to do that as a manager and, and i see the frustration in the people that um i've tried to help in the studios and but also now you have to run a business which is another learning experience 
Yep. So how that you do that? You have a whole design world, one part of the brain, then you have to run a business, another part of the brain. How is that a learning experience? Yeah, I think if you're working in an industry where you're manufacturing something, there's an extremely um, powerful motivation to be realistic with the things you're trying to send down the pike. And I think in the case of a, of a car, it's, it's, it's very hard to avoid those lessons um, as you sit in meetings about uh, manufacturing costs and uh, you know, distribution of, of a product and marketing. And, it, and it's just, it's quite eye-opening, even if your passion still lies firmly in that um, ideation stage. So for me, the, the service I offer to people is, is the ability not just to design something, to, but to have some sympathy with what it is that they're looking to make, what it is that they're looking to put out into the world. And very often that's, that comes down to how many of these things are they going to make? And it can be a completely different set of processes that they're looking to use to make that thing. So I need to tailor how I approach my design services for them uh, towards how they're looking to make uh, the object. And, and obviously the difference between making a one-off um, custom motorcycle that, that to all intents and purposes is a piece of art to something that's a high volume manufactured product where you're, you're, you're desperately looking to save as much money on every component as you can so that you can get to market with the most competitive price so that you can make a profit and stay in business. I mean, it's, they're very, as you say, it's two parts of the brain. They're quite removed from one another. But, you know, I think the experience of working in a big um, manufacturing business, essentially, uh, is that I can empathize with, with what people uh, are up against if they're trying to put something out into the world. Well, I think you sum it up really, really well. And I really wish you good luck. And I really want to go and check out your bikes one of these days. Well, I'll be happy to show you. Well, thank you so much for coming today to talk to us. And, it's a pleasure, Laura. And we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. And I'll talk and to you soon. Good luck with your podcast. Thank okay, you. Thank, thank you. you so much. It was so good to have you here today. See you next time. Catch you on the flip side. Ciao, ciao.